0: And welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staten of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, you are there in South Africa where it has been a rather dramatic week over the past, in fact, couple weeks. The, uh, the, The economic ripple effects of what's happening in China are being felt most acutely in Johannesburg, where the currency now has uh, has fallen to uh, a low that they haven't seen since 2008, 9% plunge over the past few weeks. Uh, and it's very, very scary to see what's happening in South Africa. And all of this is being triggered by a dramatic events that are undergoing underway in China, multiple plunges in the stock market that triggered circuit breakers, which brought a halt to trading on the Shanghai and Shenzhen exchanges. Uh, when there haven't been those, tr- those circuit breakers, we've seen 5% sell-offs, 6% sell-offs, just under the the circuit breakers. There's been a devaluation of the yuan, which is really causing havoc in many developing markets. 58% of the entire global economy is made up of emerging markets, and they are feeling the effects of this yuan devaluation more than anybody, in part because Chinese imports, already a concern for many in the developing world, are now cheaper, which is obviously good for consumers but really terrible for manufacturers and producers who, of course, employ people. Then we've seen massive capital outflows from China. Prices are falling in China, capital investment is slowing, demand is falling. And I guess most worrisome is seeing what the Chinese government's response to all of this. And a lot of people are feeling increasingly nervous that the Chinese policy-making establishment doesn't have the tools or the people or the skills. To bring this under control. So, with all of this happening and the intersection between the economy in China and the economy in Africa, we thought that there'd be no better person to invite back onto the show than Kai Xue, who's a corporate lawyer in Beijing. And he's been advising Chinese clients investing in Africa for a number of years, but also he is a columnist. And back in July of 2014, I think it was 2014, it was. So, really, almost a year and a half ago. Kaixue called almost everything that's happening today. And so we're going to talk about that today. Kaixue, welcome back to the program.
1: Uh, Thank you guys for having me again. So
0: when you look out from your window in Beijing and you talk to your clients and you see all the things that are happening in the stock market, those things that I just kind of listed off, what are you telling your clients and what are your clients telling you right now about Africa?
1: Uh, Well, since... uh investment to africa is primarily driven by commodities and since um the pl- you know such a great plunge in the prices of commodities it's meant that there's lower interest in investment in africa and uh so so that that that's the uh, overall picture and also uh for, for africa but then uh, in, in in terms of the broader picture of outbound investment from china I, I've seen a real difference last year compared to the previous years in that if you were to look at the top 10 deals, uh, outbound uh, deals, only one of them was in natural resources, which is a really dramatic departure from just, say, three years ago when it could have been predominantly in natural resources. Uh, and in fact, now so many of the, the biggest deals are in Technology and in first world countries. So uh, something that uh, we've been very busy with in, at this team has actually been in uh, supporting a, uh, a state-backed investment fund in the semiconductor industry, which has made several acquisitions in first world countries. So that's the kind of, the type of transactions that are now eclipsing natural resources and, of course, also Africa.
2: So, are you seeing this? Uh, you know, kind of this—the shift—is it? Would it be the most accurate to describe it basically as, as a moving away from Africa, or as a as a as a change in the China-Africa relationship to a different kind of engagement? So, is it essentially an abandonment of Africa by China, or is the China-Africa relationship changing into a different kind of engagement?
1: Well, well this is actually a a difficult question. I mean, a difficult answer to generalize. Uh, because although the the premises behind much of the growth in, in China Africa has been in natural resources and that, and we can clearly see the slump in natural resources would indicate then also a slump in relations. It, you know, looking at this latest round of FOCAC, uh, the financial commitments. Uh, made have actually increased by about 50% compared to in the last period. So that's not, uh, you know, that's not the same pace of growth as in previous rounds when it was a multiple of the previous round. But that's still very significant growth. Uh, so that would um, appear to contradict uh, some of my pessimism and also the general pessimism now about Sino-African economic relations, so Darren is the big difficulty in making the generalization. In in that, uh, if we were just to strictly examine the numbers from this latest round of commitments, it would indicate that there's still energy and growth. But um, uh, but uh, but looking at the natural resources picture, it's terrible. And uh, what, what, what could that, you know, what, what could that imply about the future?
0: Well, what's the difference between how the public sector is, is viewing the relationship and what the private sector is doing? So what you referenced in terms of the, the doubling of the commitment, which is up to $60 billion announced by President Xi Jinping uh, in December at FOCAC, that's really public sector money, the state. What are you seeing in terms of the private sector, and is there a difference between the two in terms of enthusiasm for Africa?
1: Well, in terms of, uh, in terms of outbound investment from China anywhere in the world, it will be predominantly state-led. So the uh, 100 or so central state-owned enterprises and the state-backed investment funds are going to be the leaders and take the, you know, the bulk of that outbound investment uh so so the, the private sector has a generally i mean it's it's a growing role but it's it's not the critical role and uh so when in 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 terms of um in africa uh the difference between uh, there's nonetheless a difference between private and and state led uh investment uh in in terms of private investment i i would i would guess it will remain a uh, fairly robust because it has not been um, it has not been as dominated by natural resources uh, in fact uh, the, the typical picture of a private investor uh, in africa is, um, it, it is a smaller investment maybe it's in the range of uh, ten million dollars and it will be in actually manufacturing it might be say a, a, f- a food processing facility somewhere in Nigeria that that would be the representative picture and um, and those guys have found that the profit margins are good in Africa and that has encouraged more more private investors to come but uh, but to give you to place that these private investors in the overall picture uh, you know they, they they just make up a minor part of it in terms of um, in terms of dollars
2: where do you see this 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 kind of investment going in the future do you do is there scope for it to to, to actually to grow and to take up a larger part of the relationship or is there a natural limit there?
1: my my, my sense is that even though we in this latest round do see still a significant increase uh, i i you know i i have to stick with my old projections that the future of economic relations will be stagnant it will not grow fast uh, because so much of it so much of it is dependent on natural resources and uh, by natural resources I don't simply mean investing in mines and then buying the offtake Uh, You know, also a huge part of economic relations has been in construction engineering. So the building of roads and power generation and such, but all of that, all of those projects are also highly dependent on the revenue that African governments gain from natural resources and then are able to reinvest in construction of public infrastructure. Uh, so, considering this entire flow of natural resources to construction engineering and how these are the two main areas of economic relations, and how with a slump, that means both will decline i I still forecast that there, it, it, that there's going to be stagnation in the near future.
0: well, stagnation implies that it 's not getting better it 's not getting worse it 's remaining stagnant, but it really, from what you 're describing. It feels like the entire Chinese model in Africa is breaking down so long as oil is at $31 a barrel, so long as iron ore prices remain at rock bottom. Uh, you know, all of the commodity prices are so low for minerals and, and, and pretty much everything. And and as you talked about, the China-Africa relationship economically is predicated on Africans selling Commodities, but if they can't sell commodities to make enough money to pay the Chinese banks and to pay the Chinese construction firms, it all kind of falls apart, doesn't it?
1: Uh, yes, I, I, you know, I've I've been uh, cautious in terms of my wording. Uh, I mean, in, in in previous articles, it might have um, appeared I, I had much more stronger opinions that I I forecasted doom rather than simply a slump, and 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 uh, well. Some of those headlines, of course, were generated by editors who um, so so they are not my headlines and uh, in in terms of my own wording I, I I've tried to stick with the sense that there would be uh, a slump, a stagnation, or there would not be as fast you know there would not be the hyper growth that has been ex- expected in the uh, in the past uh, so i I've, I've never Felt that there would be something, something that looks like collapse.
0: But doesn't the model, though, at le- if if not break down, run into serious problems again? If the the African partner can't generate enough revenue from the commodities to pay the Chinese for the infrastructure,
1: how does that work? Uh, well, th- this is a a whole other scenario. I think uh, right now we are speaking of the fact that because mineral prices, I mean because commodity prices are so so low uh there's not going to be much fresh investment coming from you know coming co- coming to africa and uh and so and also there won't be as many construction engineering tenders that will commence so that will mean less economic activity uh so so that that's one scenario but then right now i think we are then talking about an even worse scenario occurring which is that there will be such a long term slump in prices that the macroeconomic picture for many African countries will become terrible. And uh, so terrible, in fact, that uh, the macroeconomics will look like what had occurred in the 1990s in Africa when many uh, Af- African governments. Um, were near default the and then had you know had had to seek bailouts and also debt cancellations, and if that process were to be repeated, where uh, you know as a united front, so many African governments go go before Export-Import Bank or China Development Bank, uh, well, well mainly Export-Import Bank, and they appeal for a cancellation and bailouts, then that will be a whole you know new level of stress in economic relations. And that, that actually will probably ter- be termed some sort of, you know, collapse or something sharper than simply stagnation.
0: Yeah, Kobus, let me turn to you now to get the African perspective on this, particularly for you in South Africa, where I am not convinced that there is an awareness of the hell that is waiting them that that, that that Kaishue really kind of nicely mapped out here. Uh, it, the difference between now and the 90s, though, is that the risk was spread globally so it was the IMF and the World Bank and the western powers that collectively inve- you know loaned all that money to africa now we're looking at one country china that is now responsible for a lot of that debt and i guess kobus what is the feeling in in places like johannesburg when they look out onto the world and they see their currency now down 9%, 10%. Prices are going up in the supermarket. Do you think people are making the connection with China and what's happening? And do you think people understand the ramifications of what's to come if China does kind of follow the prescription that we've heard from Kaixi?
2: Um Yes, I think people are making that connection. Um, you know, kind of the... Uh, there is widespread alarm in, in in Johannesburg um you know kind of it's a very gloomy environment at the moment um and um you know kind of but but the the, the question i think in in the south african debate is to which extent is South Africa uh, just a kind of a deer in the headlights Um, and to which extent was the, the the situation also created by South African government management and mismanagement. Um, The debate in South Africa is filtered very much through unhappiness with the current president. Um, And, you know, kind of the, the, you have to remember, like, except for the, the influence of the, of the, of China on the South African currency, the, 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 one really momentous, you know, kind of plunge in the currency was actually caused when the South African president um, fired the then his then minister of, of finance replaced him. Um, you know, kind of so there is, you know, kind of the discussion of China is filtered through concerns about whether the the current government in in South Africa can actually handle an already volatile world situation and whether they're may making it worse with you know kind of by by what they do themselves domestically, um, and actually that's you know, kind of, it's, uh, you know, I'm no economist, so I actually would actually like to ask Kaishui about that as well. Like, what can African economy, uh, African uh, governments do to to better their situation, or are they essentially, you know, kind of uh, you know, frozen in the headlights
1: of an oncoming truck? Uh, the, well, this is a, a very difficult question, of course, because uh, how, you know, how, how, how does, you know, solve such a huge problem with... Um, uh, but I, I guess there are a few few things that come to mind, which is that uh, you, you know, to, to of course uh, to to attract any any kind of foreign investor, a host government should be reliable and take care of the obligations that it has made and and promised to the foreign investor. And uh, some host governments, especially in Francophone Africa, have not done that and have a very poor reputation. For, for governance and also for, for you know, sticking to, to promises. So uh, to, to, to be more reliable, that's, that's one thing for host governments. Uh, but, but of course, that, that would be very simplistic advice because many Anglophone African governments are considerably above average in terms of governance compared to their development level. So, 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 and and for for instance, one of those countries is, is Zambia, and uh, they they've recently had quite the economic shock, and uh, inflation is extremely high, and uh, growth growth is uh, it, the, the economy is contracting. So, uh, so, so of course, that simply being a reliable host government does not uh, insulate one from these global economic trends.
0: No, but it's interesting, Zambia, is, uh, that you brought that up because. You know, there's a lot of criticism of the Zambian government dating all the way back to Michael Sada when he was president, that, you know, when the good times were here and the Chinese were putting a lot of money into Zambia, that they didn't take that money to diversify their economies, uh, to rely less on commodities. Angola is another example of that. Uganda has squandered a lot of the money as well. And so I think looking back on this, there's a lot of frustration on the part of some observers, to say, well, we had a chance during this whole Africa rising narrative, and that's something Kobus and I talk about quite a bit, that Africa falling now is what it seems to be that we're embarking on. And they're falling hard right onto concrete, because when when the money was coming in, people didn't do much on the governance side. And I think that's really the, the big shame. Would you would you agree, Kobus, on that? Or what's your thing? What's your thinking on that?
2: Um, to, to a certain extent you know um, to, to a certain extent yes but on the other hand you know kind of the, the work of diversifying the economy was the work of doing things like putting in you know kind of 4G cell phone networks um, you know kind of an, yeah. and, and creating creating the kind of infrastructure that you would need to diversify the economy and to be fair to African governments a lot of them have been doing that you know kind of this is, this is the kind of story that we've been covering over the last three or four years is them get you know kind of using the combination of Chinese state financing and Chinese um, corporate know-how to kind of fast-track some of those... um some of those projects, including things like, like um, uh, you know, kind of special export processing zones, uh, special, you know, kind of industrial zones um, and so on, you know, kind of on a Chinese model. So I'm not 100% sure what more they should have done rather than just simply have been faster and better and, you know, kind of be like more, you know, kind of move with more alacrity. Um, Kaishu, what what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that in in that uh, I'm just looking at um, those those African countries that are associated with good governance, like Ghana, Zambia, and and other English-speaking African countries, I I, I do see that there there were in a few instances of of a of, of spending that should not have occurred, like in in Ghana, where the civil service wage bill was in, increased a lot in order to uh, sustain sustain electoral machines. Uh, that that was squandered spending during the boom years, but but in these in these countries of good governance, you also see a lot of investment in in public infrastructure. Uh, for instance, uh, no, I don't think any uh, African country has been as engaged as Tanzania in road building over the last uh, decade. So so in, in that country alone, something like 3,000 kilometers of new roads have been built. So that that that's an example and a fairly representative example i think of a lot of these countries of of good spending and and that good spending will help uh ameliorate some of the problems that will come if there is a long-term slump in, in in mineral prices because because uh for instance in in tanzania with all of those new roads that means a lot of uh, farmers in remote places now have better access to the marketplace and with that incentive that will lead to higher uh, agriculture productivity which is always the most basic prescription for how african economies should rise so i i i, I, I would not categorically say that 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 african governments have have squandered squandered during the, uh, you know, squandered the revenue they received during the boom years. Uh, you, you do see a lot of good examples of governance over the last decade.
0: Okay, well, that's encouraging. Uh, back in 2014, when you wrote that article for the This Is Africa online blog, Rocky wrote Ahead for China-Africa relationship question. Um, is this, when you were back in 2014, is this what you were thinking how it was going to unfold? Is this what it looks like?
1: uh i in in the in the sense that uh now that you know generally generally observers will say that uh, are are also similarly pessimistic about the future of sino african economic relations in, in in that sense uh i i you know that prediction i had made in 2014 and actually uh, back in 2015 i had written a similar piece for the same publication has now come into alignment with uh, mainstream mainstream observers however uh, I I suppose there is one huge difference in that back in 2013 and 2014 I had predicted that uh, African economies would slow down significantly Uh, because of uh, lower commodity prices and and therefore would become less appealing for investment and therefore a decrease in economic activity. While uh, right now the focus of uh, analysts is that China has slowed down considerably and therefore caused commodity prices to fall and that has led to this decrease in economic activity. So I I I guess that the main differences, I had predicted that um, the slowdown would occur in Africa, while I, you know, I did not anticipate that the slowdown would be as severe as it is uh, right now in China.
0: Okay, so before we go, I want to do a quick, you know, roundtable on kind of a forecast for the rest of the year. Uh, Cobus, let me start with you. Um, when you look at China-Africa relations, beyond just economics, in all facets, um, give us, give me, give me a sense of what you're thinking about how it's going to go for the rest of the year and where we are now in the relationship.
2: Uh, that's so difficult. <laughs> it is,
0: but it, we're in a change. <laughs> like, I feel like we're failure. in a different – I feel like the relationship is changing now. This is a, a real turning point and into a, a really much more sober, cold – you know, perspective on, 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 you know, I don't want to say cold hearted, but it is it, it's, it's really going to be a very, very kind of, uh, you know, bottom line relationship in my view. But what's your what, what's your view of where we're going now?
2: I think, you know, the one thing I would I would be willing to gamble on is that it's going to lead to a lot of. Of political reckoning in you know domestically in different African economic uh, different African political environments. Um, there's going to be a, a price to be paid for for past um, in, you know close relationships between African governments and China. Um, the you know kind of there's going to be a certain amount of political fallout um, coming once you know kind of once China is seen as a as a, a kind of a more mercenary or colder or more remote kind of partner than they were seen before um, because. You know, I think South Africa, being a particular kind of clear case, certain African governments really, really kind of linked their fortunes to China, and the, you know, kind of the the uh, the logic that underlined that was that China is going to be growing at amazing rates forever. Um, you know, kind of now that China is to a certain extent normalizing its position, like it's becoming more like a, a different other, you know, kind of as, as many other kind of foreign partners. Um, and, you know, kind of that China is going to become more picky and, you know, kind of, you know, a, a tougher investor in lots of different ways. That's going to, I think, have a, a certain kind of destabilizing effect politically in in, in African countries um, and particularly in South Africa.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm going to go a little bit one step farther and, and really you know, call this the new normal. We're never going to get back to the days of 7 plus percent growth in China. China now is an economy that will probably grow between 2 and 5 percent. Some economists believe that it's already down to 0 to 1 percent. Um, so the days of China's voracious appetite for all things natural resources are probably over, as we've heard from Kai shue tonight. And that's going to force, I think, a disequilibrium in how, terms of how Afri- China regards Africa where in the past, they had a pan-African policy in many respects, you know, going through organizations like FOCAC. I think in the future, what we're going to see is going to be very regional policies, if not bilateral. So the one belt, one road will benefit parts of East Africa much more than obviously will benefit other places. I think the Chinese will become much more risk averse in terms of investing in places like Chad, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Mali, uh, even places like Libya and North Africa, they'll get out of that. And as you said, kobis they're going to be be much more calculating in their relationship. And so the, the picture of the happy, smiling Chinese, you know, president or prime minister coming and hugging his counterpart, those I think will go away in many respects to, you know, firm handshakes. And let's not forget that the Chinese have never forgiven any of the private debt or the interest bearing debt. They've forgiven the low interest and the no interest loans, but they've not forgiven the, the interest bearing debt. And that's what's going to be interesting based on what Kai has said today about whether or not if the economic model of the Chinese engagement in Africa can sustain itself, if these African governments cannot repay those debts, what do the Chinese do? Last words to you, Kai Shui. What's your prognosis for this a year ahead?
1: Uh, well, well, I, I, I do want to say that uh, although the economy has slowed down, it is still fairly robust in the rate of growth. It's almost 7% in 2015. Official but, uh,
0: figures, of course. Uh,
1: well, I, I, I think it's it's generally accurate. And... Um, but, but the, I guess the, the really big issue is not so much what the current rate of growth is, but the fears that there might be a banking sector implosion, which would really bring down the rate of growth. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not necessarily that the slowdown is so severe right now, but that there are uh, a lot of fears that it could become that way. And I, and I still believe that over the next 20 years, there will be robust growth. But um of course there will not be ten percent growth as in the past because the economy is now a much more mature size. But there will still be healthy growth like six percent or more. But um but the the main what what does that still mean though for China and in Africa? I I, I believe I, I believe it will it, it does not necessarily mean that uh The prices of commodities will recover, and then the old glory days will be restored. Because uh, I, just for historical reference, uh, during the period of about 1985 until around 2003, so almost 20-year period, that's associated with a very long slump in commodity prices. And so we might be seeing, once again, uh, such a long slump. And, and that, of course, will cause less ac- economic activity during that period.
0: The article is Rocky Road Ahead for China-Africa Relationship, written by Kai Xue way back in 2014. It was very prescient at the time. I think it's, it's really a good idea for anybody interested in China-Africa relations, particularly on the economic side, to go back. Look up This is thisisafricaonline.com. Just do a search for Kai Xue, K-A-I space X-U-E, and it'll come up. Um, and you'll see, he called it long before I saw any other analysts. Kobus and I were talking before the show if we could figure out if any academic or other journalist kind of detailed the slowdown as accurately and precisely as what Kaishue did, and we, we came up empty, so it is very, very interesting. Kaishue, if people want to follow some of the other work that you're doing, is there a way that they can stay in touch with you?
1: Uh, I, I, I don't have um, a public social media presence, so I'll, I'll just have to uh, send my send my pieces over to you guys. And, Fair enough. Uh, ask for your help.
0: And uh, again, Google is an excellent resource for those outside of China and the Great Firewall. Baidu inside. Just go and type in Caishia, uh, and a lot of his writing will come up. It's excellent writing. Kobus, if people want to stay in touch with what we're doing here at the China Africa Project, what's the best way for them to get connected with us?
2: Um, one of the best ways is our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash project. And there we run this 24-hour curated news feed of, of a constant update of China-Africa news items. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Stadnesque. That's S-T-A-D-N-E-S-Q-U-E.
0: And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. We also put out a newsletter every Monday that has you know five or six of the top China-Africa stories. So we curate them. Uh, great way to stay on top of of the week's news and a kind of a look ahead at what's coming. If you'd like to sign up for that, check out our blog, ChinaAfricaProject.com. There's sign-up buttons all over, or you can do it on Facebook. And also, if you want to follow this podcast, best way to do it, just go to iTunes.com slash ChinaAfricaPodcast, iTunes.com slash podcast. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.